Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Max Minute, where we squabble over the table scraps in Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 18, which begins with Max keeping an eye on the attack on the compound, and it ends with police sirens in the distance. We pick up today with our eyes on the gyro captain, who, spoon in hand, is shifting anxiously. And you can just tell behind those eyes that he's hoping to get his hands on that can that Max is working on. Hope to get some morsel of food. As we've been watching this movie, we don't really address the basic needs like food, water, going to the bathroom. Those yep. don't generally don't really come up. And even when Max is eating the dog food, he presents it just as normal. Yeah. So this is the first time that I really feel the desperation and the hunger of the gyro captain, mm -hmm. where you really get a sense of starvation is a part of this world now. And he he's desperate yeah. for some food. <laughs> Because the only food that the gyro captain is going to get is the food that Max allows him to have. Right. The food that the dog doesn't want. Right. <laughs> the gyro captain does not have the opportunity to go out and forage for himself. And even if he did go out and forage, there's not much that he would really be able to find. No. Just because they are in a rather barren area. You know, a hilltop is not usually where you find a cache of food. Right. Aside from canned food that they didn't get around there anyways what do they eat like the horde what do they eat i'm willing to guess a lot of rabbit yeah a lot of animals small animals mm -hmm. uh, probably a lot of rabbit do you think they've they've probably scavenged at all oh i i feel like the horde is kind of like the the people on the iron islands in game of thrones i don't think they sew I think they take they what they take. want. So going around the roads in scavenging parties, they probably take from travelers that they find. They probably scavenged pieces of civilization that are left behind. Mm, I like the comparison with the Iron Islands. Yeah. When you really think about resources in terms of this movie, and I think this is a perfect place to focus on it because we're directly dealing with the idea of feeding all of these people. You got to wonder why people go out into the wasteland in the first place. Right. There are... Australia is a very big place. And I know the stereotype of Australia is the outback, the desert. There's so much more to Australia. Mm -hmm. and, and I can understand getting much away of it from... is very fertile. Yeah, I imagine getting away from the more populated cities that are probably burning and bombed out or whatever. I can see the advantage of getting away from those, but... There's also a huge disadvantage. Yeah, moving into the more arid-looking areas of Australia just doesn't seem smart to me no i feel like it's one of those things where if you start running and then suddenly you find yourself in that situation you're like ah uh, crud yeah but i mean like max he did it on purpose like yeah. he started running and he just didn't stop mm -hmm. so he went out into the wasteland on purpose yeah it's an interesting choice to yeah. be sure to be i sure. wonder if hmm, i wonder if part of his thinking in wandering out to the wasteland was suicidal 
kind of a I'm prolonged going, suicide. Yeah, like I'm going to go out there and just whatever happens, happens. I don't care. I don't care what happens anymore. Yeah, because there is nothing tying him to that Melbourne-esque area. Yeah. Like his life, his occupation, he quit. His family is all dead. He just drives out into the wasteland. And if he survives, he survives. If he dies, he dies. Very nihilistic. It is. And I think that's that's the place he's in mentally is very yeah. nihilistic. We know and understand, at least in part, Max's motivation for being out in the wilderness. But all these other people. Yeah. Why are they out there? I just It's one of those things that I don't feel like it's ever really explored. And I guess we kind of just, we just roll with it for the aesthetic and i'm very fine with that yeah i'm fine with it too yeah it's only when i think a little too hard about it that it starts to really bother me the idea that these people were experiencing the apocalypse and their first thought was i need to go to the most barren place i can think of Mm -hmm. with like a hundred or so of my friends and all of their cars and stuff and just roll around in the wasteland and i'm like but guys think fiscally (laughs) right (laughs) What? Are, how are you going to manage your logistics? And it's like, that's the farthest thing from their minds. And I, th- I feel like it was also the farthest thing from uh, George Miller's mind when he was writing this, that not so much that he wanted style over substance. I think there's a lot of substance in these movies, but the minutia of... How are you feeding all these people? How are you watering all of these people? Right. It's something that they do a really good job of explaining in Fury Road and something that they really don't dwell on in Road Warrior. Yeah, I, I'm okay with that because it's not the point. Yeah, I mean, we get we get stuck in these little ruts sometimes where we try and understand logistically how these movies work. Right. And sometimes and we just have to, to shake ourselves and be like, hey, right. calm this, down. This movie is about fuel. Right. That is the resource that we are focusing on. Other resources that, of course, we know that they need, we're just not going to worry about those. Yeah, it's just tricky. It's not the point. The entire focus of a minute, and I mean the entire focus of this minute, is focusing on the gyro captain wanting food, mm-hmm. the gyro captain being denied food, and then the gyro captain eventually getting his hands on some, some food, food, maybe. Yeah. And even even with Max, who we know much more about Max than about anybody else, we still don't know. We've seen no water. Yep. We have no earthly idea where he got that case of food, how mm-hmm. much he has, how much longer it has before it goes bad. We we know next to nothing about the food other than the fact that he has a can, he ate the can. We saw a box in the car. Right. That's all we know. And we know a lot more about Max than we know about anybody else. Yeah. Oh, it's sometimes we just get caught on these things. And it's (laughs) awful because I know that there are people ripping their hair out. Why are you guys getting bogged down about how many cans Max has? How much, you know, if one case holds 12 cans and he's got one case in the back there, how many does he? It's like, wow, we didn't even get into that. I understand your frustration, listener. (laughs) But like I said, but that's what we do. We analyze this minute is dominated by the gyro captain and the dog arguing over who gets to lick the the can clean. Yes. So what are you going to do? Going back to the dog, we get another example of how fantastic blue healers are. Mm-hmm. We were talking to Brad Mull a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. who is familiar with blue healers. And he told us about it's, it's the perfect kind of dog where you have him in your truck, in your ute, and he's companionable, but not 
clingy, not not overly friendly, I guess, just yeah. companionable. And if somebody that he's not familiar with comes up to your ute, he's going to bark and posture and I'm not sure attack. But like make sure that they don't get too close. Yes. He's yeah. not going to let people close. They're a good security animal. Yes. Which Dog has exhibited a couple of times, and we get to see it once again. He is not going to give up his can of food. Nope. (laughs) And the gyro captain seems to know this before he even starts reaching for it. Like, he's very careful. Yeah. He's, like, trying to be sneaky, but how do you be sneaky when you're trying to get in between a dog and his food? Yeah. That seems silly. In case we didn't already say this, so Max finishes eating out of the can, and he tosses the can over to the dog, and as the dog is literally face fully inside the can the gyro captain is like trying to sneak up on the dog yeah to snatch away the can and i'm like Don't you do have to he's roll. already been attacked by the dog you have to roll a really high sneak check to steal a can off of the face of a dog yeah like come on dude just wait your turn because you're not going to snatch it away. <laughs> nope. And he gets fairly close before the dog like hears him or smells him getting too close and starts like snarling and nipping at him and like forces him to retreat. Yes. And Which it, he does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Again. he kind of he kind of holds his hands up to be like, okay, I'll, I'll back off. You, you don't have to worry about me. <laughs> it's going to sound like a criticism of the gyro captain, but he's got no guts. Yeah. He just backs down like he is at a... the first opportunity, like every time he tries to assert himself. He is a large individual. He could throw his weight around. But I think at the same time as him recognizing that he doesn't want to necessarily get in a fight with the dog, he also recognizes that the dog and Max are very closely allied and any attack on the dog would be an attack on Max and would be yeah. severely punished. Even more punished. Yeah, the dog I is. I think then he's already in for. The dog is an extension of Max, and I think that's what he's owing up to in this minute here when he kind of puts up his hands and backs off. Mm-hmm. One thing that we kind of skipped over at the beginning of this minute, while Max is still spooning out dog food. Oh yeah, is him going back to his binoculars? Yes, he's kind of mounted them on the tripod and he goes back to looking through them, and we get to see a motorcycle and it's kind of going along the dirt and it hits a pile of debris and it launches over the moat of the compound and kind of goes over. It kind of looks like there's a dip in the barbed wire that surrounds the compound and he lands inside the compound. Yeah. And that seems like a pretty major thing. You know, the Lord Humongous is sending his goons on motorcycles over the wall, most likely in an attempt to get the gate open. And you imagine he sends the guys in and then, of course, everybody in the compound is going to attack that person that got over the the moat. But no one in the shot actually moves from what I saw. I think the fact that in that shot, nobody moved is a safety precaution. We are doing this stunt. People have their places. And for safety, do not move. Yeah. Like it's a behind the scenes thing that makes sense when you're shooting a movie. But when you're clicking through in slow-mo watching it happen, it's not 
that long of a sequence. Like, it's not like they linger on it for a couple of seconds. He sees the motorcycle land, and then he swings back to focus on some other people within the compound. But it just, even without going frame by frame, it lingers just long enough where, like, no one really seems to react to it. And, I don't know, I feel like if they had done a second take, they would have had, you know, people rushing towards where the motorcycle landed. Right. To kind of show that this person was taken out pretty quickly. Yeah. It may have been a better strategy. I don't know how they would have shot this safely, but it may have been a better strategy to have a bunch of your bikers in fairly quick succession go up that ramp and over. Yeah. That way, when they landed inside the compound... There was chaos and confusion. Yeah. So that way, at least one of them would have been able to get to the bus. Yes. And they can strategically protect one person or just create this big ball of chaos that I imagine would be pretty effective. Yeah. Especially with the bikes and they're loud and they're creating a dust cloud once they hit the ground. And I kind of think that that might have worked. Yeah. I think the major obstacle to the Lord Humongous taking the compound at this this point is that like the gyro captain said there's probably about 30 people in this compound like mm-hmm. there are more people in this compound today than there will be in a couple of days when max shows up because everyone is in there and everyone is fighting there's a formidable force inside And the way they dug that moat, for someone on foot, it doesn't seem like that big of an obstacle. But as you are on foot, you have the moat that you have to get through. And then you have to get past the barbed wire fence that they've got wrapped around the compound. Like they got the big tire wall Mm -hmm. up at the front with the bus behind it. And then the rest of it is fairly sparse. But the terrain is so difficult that you can't just drive through it. And there are so many people that if they on foot tried to storm into the compound, they'd get shot down really quick with arrows and molotovs and things like that. This compound, strategically speaking, is really effective at defending against this type of attack, for sure. To be sure, to be sure. It seems odd to me that it's taking them so long to take this compound. Mm -hmm. The compound seems fairly basic. Not a lot of like modern high-tech strategies are being employed, but the basic things that they are employing are incredibly effective. Yeah. And so once you get a good look, like I didn't realize, I thought the tire fence, the tire wall was around the whole thing. I didn't realize that the tire wall is just around kind of the front portion. And then the rest of it, there's no, you know. Heavy fortification. Right. There's no line of sight blocking walls. Like you look at it and it just looks like it's open because it's just a moat and barbed wire. But that barbed wire is incredibly effective. Yeah. The Lord Humongous, in order to take this compound, needs essentially siege weaponry, something that he can launch yeah, projectiles he's got, he needs to go in over, over the wall. Yeah. See, all he's got is infantry and archers, pretty much. Yeah. He doesn't have any sort of effective battering ram technology. He doesn't have like a large piece of construction equipment yeah. that he can armor up roll to the gate and just push the bus out of the way. Right. You know, if it was the horde that attacked that truck back on the road, I always wondered why didn't they take the truck? It does seem like the kind of thing that you'd want to have in your arsenal. They could have reinforced that truck and used it as a battering ram. Yeah. 
It would have taken down a wall of tires. Easy peasy. May even have been able to move that bus out of the way. Yeah, I think the major reason no one ever took that bus is because it was empty. Like the Win Max was tapping the... Right. They had to have really wanted it to take it, which it seems like a huge asset to me. Yeah. So I would have wanted to take it. Yeah. I mean, Max has to take the fuel from the compound and bring it to yeah the Mack truck to get and then he has to work on it for what i assume is the better part of a day before he can even get it running again that's true i mean it was probably just more trouble than it was worth at the time if right. it was the vermin group from this horde mm-hmm. that originally wrecked that truck right because they're not the kind to oh what's the what's the saying like the lilies of the valley they neither sow nor toil just Oh, just out in the fields looking good something like that i'm not familiar with it okay I'll there's a you. yeah there's like a saying about the lilies of the field they don't actually do anything they just look good so i think this was the, maybe the truck was just too much work for them yeah <laughs> if it wasn't an asset ready to take they didn't want it yeah i feel like oh which is so foolish i feel like they would have had to trade too many vehicles you know moving gasoline from one vehicle to another vehicle and then they would have had to leave behind those other vehicles in order to take this one. Right. And perhaps they were like, okay, we'll just come back for that one later with fuel and a mechanic. And they just hadn't gotten back there yet. Yeah. And it also could be that the truck requires diesel. And if none of the vehicles in your horde take diesel, mm-hmm. you don't have a resource to pull from. Right. So I think it makes a lot of sense that they left it behind because it's kind of like a giant tanker full of gas. It's a big thing that requires a lot of resources to get moving and can be a lot more trouble than it's worth. I like the comparison I'm drawing in my head with with Fury Road that there's lots of really big vehicles in that movie. If that group of people had come across this rig, they would have taken it. Oh, yeah. They absolutely would have taken it. And I think maybe it's a difference in culture. I'm pretty sure there is a Mack truck of this size in Fury Road. Yeah. I saw a listing on a forum as I was doing research for these episodes. And it's something we'll have to keep an eye out when we actually get to Fury Road. Yeah. Eventually. Where the Mack truck is fitted with a bunch of like harpoons and tow cables. Okay. And they ride up alongside the war rig and they shoot a bunch of harpoons into it to try and slow it down. Oh, and yeah. It, I think Mack I remember that that scene is so small compared to the war rig yes and it really hammers home how much larger and impressive the vehicles are in fury road because yeah if a morton joe and his giga horse rolled up on this compound the giant tires on that thing would have rolled right over that moat right through that barbed wire mm-hmm. and they would have taken the compound very quickly right i think the just the size of vehicle that the humongous's horde is working with they're just ill-equipped right hmm. i hesitate to say that to attribute that to timeline, like this is earlier in the timeline than Immortan Joe and his gang because mm. of campfire, campfire theory, which I subscribe to, that we don't really know what the timeline is. I think these two different groups, we don't know which happened first, which happened second. We, we do know that they are some distance apart and they just have different priorities in a different culture. Yeah. When it comes to the Lord Humongous, he is 
one of those cult personality types. Everyone is loyal to the Lord Humongous because he is large, he is powerful, he has exerted dominance over these people, and so they follow him as part of the Horde. Whereas Immortan Joe is all about the cult of the V8. He is the prophet, he is the giver at the leader of this giant group of war boys and it's a bit more religious as far as Immortan Joe is concerned and they're obsessed with large engines the cult of the V8 like I said so it makes sense that they would build these magnificent huge vehicles yeah to express that devotion to machines and whatnot we're getting way ahead of ourselves we, we are we are. aren't going to be talking about fury road for a long time no nope. <laughs> we are getting way ahead of ourselves one last thought on the subject though you said that in fury road they expressed their devotion by building these vehicles bigger and faster and more powerful and more weapons and just more how does this horde express their devotion to lord humongous they they are extreme in a way, mostly in their clothing, but not to the extent that we see in Fury Road, the extremes that they go to. It just seems so much more tame. Yeah, these guys... <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> the factions within the Humongous' horde, they're much more individual. You can pick them out. There are the bad cops. There are the Smegma Crazies. Those are the gay boy berserkers. Yep. Like, they have their own personalities, and the way they show their devotion to the Lord Humongous is just by following his command. Yeah, fighting for him. Fighting for him and following him around. There's no sense of unity like you see with the War Boys. Very true. It's a bit more ragtag in the Humongous' horde, mm -hmm. but it works for this. For it sure. does. It does. So getting back to the minute proper, we have the attack on the compound continuing, and it continues all the way into the evening. We get another fade to black, and we come back, and it's later in the evening. It's it's the magic hour, or whatever. Yes. And the gyro captain has finally got his hands on that can of food, and he's just using his fingers to scrape out every last little bit of food that the dog didn't eat. Right. The spoon, I think, did him no good. Yeah. There was not enough to justify the use of the, the spoon. And as we're seeing them at twilight, in the distance, we hear like a police siren start to sound. And that's kind of the last thing in this minute. Yep. Because their reaction to the siren is something that comes tomorrow. We'll talk about it then. Yes. Um, was there anything from the screenplay? That stood out to you. Let me see. We haven't brought it up in a couple of days. No, we haven't. Oh, this is something a little interesting. The screenplay makes more of a deal about the fork. Yeah. Um, it says the gyro captain watches as Max unwraps a velvet cloth to receive to reveal a beautiful silver fork. So the fork seems to be special. Yeah, something maybe not from his past, but something from the past, something that represents civilization, luxury, the nicer things in life. Especially since it's wrapped in velvet. Right, wrapped in velvet. Um, and I assume, I assume they mean like a real silver fork. We uh, like, I don't know, I call flatware silverware, just because that's what I call it, but it's not silver. It's silver in color, but it's not silver. Yeah. I think they mean a real silver fork. And I think that's exactly what they got for this movie. Yeah, which has to be 
taken care of. Right. Like they tarnish really quick and you have to take care of it. You have to store it properly. So Max is going through the trouble of taking care of this fork that would probably be easier just to use a different utensil. Yeah. But he takes care of this fork. Hmm. So that's an addition. Uh, the bike that launches over the fence, it says the bike flies through the air, bounces onto the wire. The rider sails over the fence into the compound where he was set upon by three defenders okay so, so that yeah in the screenplay it's much more like you would like to see yeah makes much more sense i also like that because it prevents the idea of more bikes going over the fence the this idea guy, that the bike hits the wire and he tumbles over the yeah it wasn't successful he yeah. didn't make it over the fence he fell over the fence lost his bike and was immediately killed. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yes. I like that that was included in the screenplay. I would have liked to see it on screen. I think that would have been really cool on screen. I think it would have been very tricky to do as a stunt. Absolutely. Which is probably why it didn't happen. Yeah. Like, this was a stunt enough without the bike getting caught on the barbed wire and the rider continuing to fly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's all the screenplay has. It's really different. Well, if that's all we have, I think we can... Wrap it up. Wrap it up. So getting back to the minute, like I said earlier, we kind of wrap today with the gyro captain, Dog, and Max at Twilight sitting, and they hear a police siren sound. Tomorrow we're going to figure out what that siren is all about, and we're going to see what happens from there. All right. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com click on the support link at the top of the page and check out our patreon to help us keep the tanks full thank you for joining us for minute 18 of the road warrior see you tomorrow